Welcome to this week's D-Listers of History Sidebar. I'm your host, Fega. One of the foundational principles of journalism is to not become the story yourself. Sometimes becoming a part of the story is arguably unavoidable, like Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein when they reported on the Watergate scandal. When you are meeting an anonymous government source going by the name Deep Throat in a Rosalind, Virginia parking garage, it's hard not to become part of the legend. And then there's Tucker Carlson. Now in his post-Fox News era, Carlson went to Russia to interview Vladimir Putin and give whoever is watching their news on X a view into Russian daily life. Since the story dropped, Carlson has been pretty universally lambasted for what many see as platforming Putin's revisionist version of history without so much as a gentle correction in front of the man himself or later in editing. He also seems shocked that Russia has things like grocery stores with fresh bread and cart escalators, but maybe he just doesn't get out much. The question is, has a major American source of news ever gotten it this wrong before? Where the wheels don't move, they lock on the grocery cart escalator. Look, Ma, no hands. I don't know about your high school history class, but mine kind of skimmed over Benito Mussolini, fascist dictator of Italy. I suppose compared to Hitler's industrial genocide machine, a little state repression seems pretty tame. Mussolini wasn't just that other European guy of the Axis powers, he was horrifying in and of himself. Under his rule, Italy became a fascist one-party state where control was maintained through the iron fist of the notorious black shirts. So how did American media talk about Mussolini as he rose to power? Well, the New York Times, for one, loved the guy. To give a little context, at the time, being fascist wasn't necessarily seen as a bad thing in America and the United Kingdom. Mussolini and Hitler were seen in many prominent circles as having restored order and national pride. The UK's now universally mocked policy of appeasement seemed sensible in a post-World War I UK that didn't see fascism as necessarily bad. Not long after Mussolini rose to power in 1922, the New York Times ran several highly complimentary articles about Italy's prime minister that today read much like Carlson's bizarre Russia trip. One of those articles, titled Mussolini, Hope of Youth, Italy's Man of Tomorrow by Alice Rowe, spends well more than a third of the article singing Mussolini's praises. The rest of the piece contains an interview where, between very specific compliments of his physical appearance, Mussolini is given free reign to shape his narrative. What Italy needs is discipline and hard work. Italy is stronger under the reign of the black shirts. Though, of course, as soon as the Bolsheviks put down their arms, the black shirts will gladly do so as well. Of course. Rowe's only criticism came in doubting that Mussolini actually believed he was too young to rule. He was, by the way, not yet 40 when he came to power. In 1923, after Mussolini's fascists did away with any pretense of democracy, with the passing of the Acerbo Law, the Times crowed that this was a youthful movement and a, quote, protest against the pretentious failures of parliament, end quote. Even after the shutdown of free press, elimination of political parties, and the disappearance and murder of an opposition member of parliament, Giacomo Mattiotti, forgive me if that's pronounced incorrectly, the Times continued their praise. One cannot help but think of poor Alexei Navalny sitting in an Arctic prison for speaking out against Putin. 
He would die not long after Carlson's story dropped. So what does the New York Times' love affair with Benito Mussolini tell us today? It feels a little repetitive to say that journalists must maintain their independence and use it wisely, and I am sure we are all exhausted of the explanation that we are all operating from a different set of facts, some of which have little to no basis in reality. We all know these things by now, at least if we're not living under a rock. One can also note, though, that the Times and its compatriots did eventually come around. While it would have been infinitely better and saved who knows how many lives, had the American press seen the fascists for what they were from the beginning, we do know that minds and actions can be changed. I know that I will keep supporting networks that maintain their journalistic integrity and even better openly discuss their reasoning around how much or little they talk about our modern proto-fascists and white nationalists. Recently, Mary Louise Kelly interviewed former executive director of the Washington Post, Martin Barron, on this very issue. I've linked it below because I think hearing seasoned journalists talking about how to do their job is useful and enlightening. What are your thoughts on this? How should we support good journalism? Are there any other pieces you've seen on this topic that are worth sharing? How much should the news be covering people like Donald Trump and some of his proto-fascist white nationalist supporters? D-listers of history will be on threads to chat about this important and super complex issue. Like, if you disagree with me, please come in. Uh, I am so ready for a conversation about this because I don't 100% know what the answer is. Thank you so much for listening to D-Listers of History. If you enjoyed yourself, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform you listen on. We are a weekly podcast. Our next full episode will drop Monday, March 4th. Our new co-host, Mizal Haresh, and I will explore the life of the 18th century Black composer, Joseph Boulogne de Chevalier de Saint-Georges, and his musical legacy. Again, <laughs> French isn't my language, so if that's incorrect, my deepest, deepest apologies to French speakers and Joseph. I had a lot of fun researching Saint-Georges, uh, and I've been loving his music. So he's really someone who's very worth learning about. Go to our show notes for links to our social media pages and website. Let's keep this conversation going. A big thank you to our Patreon members. We couldn't do this without your wonderful help and encouragement. And thank you to all of you for listening, spreading the word, all that great stuff. This is such a special project to me, and I am so happy to be doing it with you. Have a great rest of your week. See you next week. <laughs>